things are moving. Yeah, they, they definitely are. I mean, um, I let's see. Last week, I was I spent most of the week at the All In Conference, which was the uh, the All In Summit actually, which was Jason Calcanis and uh, um, you know David Freeman, Sachs, uh, Chamath. Uh, they're very wildly successful podcast. They had guests there like Elon Musk, etc. So I was sort of off the grid for most of last week. And uh, I came back a little sick, as you can hear. <laughs> so, uh, you know, great time, though. But also, uh, well, I, I got out there right after sort of the terror disaster um, had run its course. And it was sort of the topic of discussion uh, on everyone's lips out there as well. So, But that, that happened in between the last time you and I spoke uh, and this conversation. So uh, it, will, it will certainly color everything that we, we talk about today, I would imagine. <laughs> One would hope that uh, recent events would color our conversation. <laughs> Otherwise, uh, I-, I don't think too many people would uh, be spending their time well listening to us chat. Yeah, no, absolutely. So how would you guys like to begin, or would you like me just to dive in? Let's just do it. Let's just do it. Yeah, okay. Well, I'll tell you what's sort of on my mind. I mean, with respect to you guys, I really have kind of two very big questions. The first one is the Terra event has altered the psychology of the regulatory landscape without a doubt um, where all, you know, all the people that were going to come after this space are not, you know, like Warren and everybody uh, they're now going to come after it a lot faster and a lot more focused on stable coins in particular. Um, and especially within the United States, which would seem to be right where you guys are. Um, I would imagine they're going to come out with a law and it won't take too long um, where they're going to require all stablecoin issuers to back their stablecoins one for one in a bank like JP Morgan or somebody like that. Uh, I'm guessing this hasn't happened yet, but I, I think it's a good guess. They will outlaw all purely algorithmic stablecoins. How that, that has to be on your mind. And what is your reaction to that? And what will you do if that comes to pass? So there's, there's a lot to be said here. And I, I don't think that regulatory situation can be understated. Obviously, uh, the, the events uh, related to Terra, as you said, have brought all of this into the spotlight much faster than it otherwise would have been. Uh, however, and I do think this is a pretty big however, uh, Beanstalk to to exist in, in any regulatory environment and in a potentially incredibly harsh regulatory environment. So one of the thoughts behind having a truly decentralized stablecoin issuer is that it is uh, not susceptible to regulation in any capacity because it's just a piece of software. So ultimately, I, I, I think the, the, the thing that's on our mind is in particular, let's play out the situation where uh, at some point in the near future, uh, there is some uh, law issued that either requires stablecoin to be backed uh, or outlaws, algo stablecoins, whatever whatever it may be. Uh, The goal uh, has always been uh, and continues to be to have our relationship to Beanstalk and any individual's relationship to Beanstalk or any institution's relationship to Beanstalk be such that nobody could impose those types of rules on the system. 
uh, as an autonomous decentralized piece of software uh, that it, the only way to impose those types of changes are through uh, an on-chain governance proposal. And that would require an acquiring of two-thirds of the stock, or at least 50% of the stock, excuse me. And why, go ahead, Mark. No, I, I, I'll let you finish. Go ahead. I was going to say, while I, I, I don't think that, I think to me, the real friction point lies in the, in the next two months, let's call it, between now and when Beanstalk is back on and back to an on-chain governance system. Uh, as you know, the plan as of now is to have Beanstalk governed through off-chain governance until on-chain governance can be re-implemented in a safe fashion, and that's going to take a couple of months likely. And so the real risk to me lies between now and then. So between now and whenever Beanstalk is back to fully on-chain uh, governance where it's 100% autonomous, uh, that would be that would be where the potential risk lies. And even in the case where uh, that was that was implemented prior, some law uh, that would be an issue was implemented prior to that event where now Beanstalk uh, is back to on-chain governance, uh, the current plan is for Beanstalk to be governed by a community-run multisig over which we, Publius, and any other individual will have no control over whatsoever. And so the concept of being able to implement these types of rules that may be written into law in practice is impossible. And I, I, before I yield back to you, Mark, I just want to make a final comment, which is the law would, would, would as you, at least as you uh, uh, suggested, it would be a, a requirement for stablecoin issuers. And the point is, what does it mean to be a stablecoin issuer? It's very clear that Circle is a stablecoin issuer. Uh, it's very clear that Beanstalk, the protocol, is a stablecoin issuer. But I do feel pretty strongly uh, legally to say uh, I'm not a stablecoin issuer and I don't work for a company uh, in any capacity that's a stablecoin issuer. So I have nothing to do with stablecoin issuance. Uh, Beanstalk is a protocol of which I participate in uh, and am a big believer in. But ultimately, the goal is to be able to honestly say we can't do anything. We hear what you're saying and we recognize that uh, these are rules you'd like to impose on the system, but ultimately, this is a piece of software that nobody can control. So you guys control the multi-sigs, right? Well, this, Which, is, this is the point. Right. So currently, and prior to the attack, uh, Beanstalk was owned by a multi-sig that Publius did control. However, substantively, going forward, that will not be the case. Uh, the implementation of off-chain governance means that the new ownership address of Beanstalk will be a community-run multi-sig wallet. Uh, Publius is likely to be one of, uh, a, you know, more than a handful of uh, signatures on the wallet, such that we would not be able to have any sort of direct control over the contract. Hmm, okay. Well, I think, I mean, I, I, if, from my point of view, and I wrote, I wrote kind of a, uh, you know, somewhat lengthy twitch, tweet storm about this, the Luna incident, you know, I this is, you know, we all know that something like $100 billion, I guess it was closer to $60 billion of value was destroyed in a, in you know, roughly a 24-hour period. And uh, so by far the largest disaster in crypto history 
and I've been kicking around in this space since 2013. Yeah, we had Mt. Gox. Yeah, we had the Dow theft. Um, but this is, you know, just a, just a lot larger in terms of dollars, but also larger in terms of psychological impact, mostly because this is the first time that civilians got hit with sh- significant shrapnel. You know, somebody like you or me, we, you know, we live by the lightsaber. We know what we're doing. You know, we can get our arm, we can get our hand chopped off, right? That's we, <laughs> we know the game. But I think most of the people that, um, you know, they had Terra, you know, a lot of civilians had Terra and they thought that was a real dollar that couldn't go away. And that that 20 percent they were earning an anchor, you know, that that might that might become less. I think everyone kind of understood that um, that might might not be sustainable over like five years. Um, but but I didn't I, I think they 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 thought that their dollars would never just go away. And to be frank, I was pretty stunned by the speed with which it all evaporated. Uh, I, I, I didn't like Terra. There were things about the design I didn't like. I didn't like the single point of failure um, in Luna. I never invested in it because, you know, I, I, you know, I, I thought, well, shit, if Luna, if Luna devalues for whatever reason, this whole thing could, um, you know, death spiral could begin. And lo and behold, it did. But even I didn't think it could happen in 24 hours. That was shocking. Um, so I think, you know, I bring all this up mostly because you guys will have the same duty of care with respect to your stable coins. And I'm not talking about the hack. I'm just talking about the design of the protocol itself. There will be civilians that will use your stable coin. And, you know, I, I am now suitably terrified of all of these things um, losing their peg. And I just want to make sure that, you know, I, I want you guys to win. I like this. I fundamentally think this sort of thing should exist and is ultimately a good thing. But I also think it has to be tempered now with with thinking about the civilians involved here somehow. So not really a question. So I'll, I'll get to the question ne- next. So the bulk of the bulk of the attack from what I I've well, seen, well I, I would just want to comment. You want to answer on something? That. Go ahead. I, I Go would ahead. just want to comment on that because th- there's a lot there and it can't be understated the the pain um, that I, I'm sure was felt by uh, numerous and endless uh, numbers of people. Uh, having lost large amounts of money, and that's always painful. Uh, I think this is, though, fundamentally where, at least from my perspective, uh, we are big believers in uh, permissionless technology. And one of the core principles behind permissionless technology is that anyone can use it. And in practice, while there's certainly an argument to be made that Uh, certain things should not be accessible to people for their own good or to protect them. uh, That's an argument that I basically never subscribe to and tend to believe that uh, you're almost never doing people good by preventing them from uh, accessing things. And so ultimately it's really a, a question of education. And one of the things that you said, Mark was, they thought the, the 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 retail people thought this or thought that. And while it's impossible to know what everyone thought, I do think generally what what you're saying about people's misperceptions of the risks associated with the system uh, were were quite misunderstood, and or pe- people's understanding were, was wrong. And one of the things that has been discussed since this, but is something that that has been on our mind for a long time. Uh, we included a risk section in the white paper, but still that wasn't enough, we'd love for there to be some sort of generalized disclosure system in crypto, 
where every project should be responsible for, uh, you know, filling out some sort of uh, set of disclosures that lay out how the protocol works, the inflation associated with the protocol, who are the major owners, whether there was a pre-mine, any of the associated potential risks. Uh, There's lots of things that should be in a standardized way disclosed. And right, right now, there's no real standard for people to do that or to consume that information. And if, if we as a community don't come together and uh, figure out some set of disclosures, I do think to your earlier point, at some point, regulators are going to mandate uh, disclosures. And from my perspective, it's much better if we all come together and collectively say these are a reasonable set of disclosures and then everyone uh, upholds them. And effectively, if you're, if you're looking at a project that hasn't issued disclosures, that should be a, a red flag enough. So this is something that as a, as a community, uh, as a whole, I think we all need to we need to take action. And frankly, just talking about it on a Twitter space isn't enough. Uh, so hopefully over the next couple of weeks, uh, Beanstalk Farms will be able to put together some sort of disclosure uh, around the Beanstalk relaunch as a first step uh, to, to participating in this. But uh, perhaps there needs to be a more large and widespread community effort to do this uh as a whole, collectively. Um, and the, the only other thing I, I, I want to say, though, is you mentioned that you're terrified of protocols losing their pay at this point. And one of the key design principles of Beanstalk is that if you don't have convertibility from collateral, you cannot have a perfect peg. You cannot prevent beans from losing their peg. And in fact, beans are never at their peg. Uh, beans are always or almost always either above or below its peg. And it's just a question of how high or how low above and below its peg it is. And so fundamentally, I don't think the question is around a risk of losing the peg per se. It's a question of death spirals and how can right the 24 hour death spiral uh, that resulted in the total collapse of value in the system that it, that's what people should be terrified of going from 100 to zero in a day. Uh, the, in Beanstalk, if you're terrified of losing the peg, uh, this is not a system that, that you're going to be around for a long time because Beanstalk is constantly above and below its peg. So there is, a, from a design perspective, a, a fundamentally different relationship Beanstalk and Bean has with its peg than Terra did. So uh, lots of thoughts there, but uh, it was very, uh, felt, felt your comments were uh, inspiring. So I wanted to comment on them. Yeah, thank you. And, and, and you are right. I, when I say lose the peg, I, you know, I'm thinking of <laughs> what happened to Terra. Like the death spiral to zero is when I say lose the peg, that's what's in my head. Not, you know, like a few points above or a few points below, not a big deal. But that has to be really specified and clarified because if beans are at 80 cents, the core design principle of Beanstalk is beans are likely to at some point be trading at 80 cents again. The question is when they're trading at 80 cents, is the expectation that now that they're at 80 cents, that means it's a zero or is it just a question of how low will it go until it's back to a dollar? And that's that's the question of is are you in a death spiral or is this just another oscillation? And to some extent, you don't know until it's too late. But that is the question. Yeah. So let's talk about that a little bit, because where I was going to go next was, you know, I, I, I read a number of analyses about exactly how the Terra uh, attack happened. And from what I read, basically, there was a. Um, the attackers, well, I'm just going to call them the attacker. We don't know if they were malicious or not, but let's just call them the attacker, um, was able to uh, purchase a large amount of uh, Terra 
for Bitcoin and Doquan basically um, swapped, I think it was $4 billion worth of Bitcoin for $4 billion worth of UST. Because why wouldn't you? You've got a giant amount of UST. That's great for your Doquan, right? So, but he basically took the bait at that point and he armed his opponent with uh, an overwhelming supply of UST. And also, um, you know, those pants were down, so to speak, because he had just removed a bunch of liquidity from Curve in preparation for launching the four pool, which was this new massive uh, amount of liquidity with uh, his partner, Frax, and some other folks uh, that was designed to be much larger and, in fact, defend against this kind of liquidity attack. Um, but he was in the transition moment, and that's when the, uh, the opponent struck and used the $4 billion worth of UST to severely unbalance the curve pool, though basically just traded it, I think probably for you know four billion dollars worth of uh, another stable, probably USDC or something, um, thereby leaving the pool uh, with a giant amount of UST and a very tiny amount of USDC and other things, and that is how it started to depeg. Was uh, so is that your understanding first of all of how this occurred as well? So generally, we have a similar understanding. Uh, the numbers that uh, I've come across is not that one party purchased $4 billion uh, of UST for $4 billion of Bitcoin. Uh, but the general uh, trend where the – so maybe to give a little more context. There was the plan from uh, – I believe it was LFG or maybe it was TFL uh, to start to partially collateralize their system with Bitcoin. Uh, originally, uh, they sold Luna for Bitcoin, which makes a lot of sense from an economics perspective, because if you think about the outstanding UST as a liability, the way that they were going to cover their liability was by acquiring collateral in Bitcoin. So by selling Luna, that facilitated them to uh, cover some of their liabilities. However, uh, and this is where I don't think the $4 billion number is exactly right based on what I've heard. The first billion that Doquan uh, or, or LFG, TFL, I don't, I don't know which entity it was, uh, the first billion dollars of Bitcoin that they acquired was actually for Luna. However, and this is where things got worse uh, and created the attack that uh, or the, the economic attack that you're talking about, uh, at some point they switched from selling Luna to cover their liabilities and started selling UST which frankly doesn't make a lot of sense, right? Because you sell a billion dollars of UST to anyone for a billion dollars of Bitcoin, that doesn't change your uh, outstanding uh, live asset liability mismatch, right? If you had a 9 billion UST overhang, if you sell a billion UST to the market for a billion Bitcoin, you're still short 9 billion. So at this point, to, to your point, Mark, whether it was a billion and a half UST, whether it was 2 billion, 4 billion UST, there was a large amount of UST that was sold OTC at a discount uh, to someone in exchange for the acquiring of BTC. And then, as you said, uh, and my understanding is that it wasn't just on curve. While they did depeg the price on curve, they also dumped on centralized exchanges. So they dumped on Binance and they dumped on FTX, as I understand it. And that exacerbated because it wasn't just at that point, it wasn't just that there was a bid on the AMMs. There was actually an order book trading on centralized exchanges. So it was across the board. Any of the demand that existed was blown through in a very short period of time. So we're, we're basically on the same page. But and frankly, I, I haven't spent much time looking into it. So for all I know, you, you may have better information, but that's my understanding. 
Yeah, I've read several different accounts of it. So, but we're, we're you know, look, we're basically on the same page. I, I, I believe that you're right. Uh, I believe this was a sophisticated attack. There's no question about that. Um, and in order to execute it properly, you probably, you know, I, I can, I, I believe that you would attack Curve and the centralized exchanges at the same time. The other thing I forgot to mention was the same entity put shorts into place on Bitcoin, on Luna, and on Terra. And so as Terra started to depeg, uh, then people started to redeem it for Luna, right? And then selling the Luna, because you could get a dollar's worth of Luna still, even if it, even if UST depegged to 80 cents, you could still redeem it for a dollar's worth of Luna and, you know, not lose money. But then you have to sell a Luna right away. And so the value of Luna started going down very quickly as well. Um, and then at a certain point, uh, Doe had to start selling Bitcoin in order to try to defend the peg, which brought down the price of Bitcoin. So the attacker basically made roughly a billion dollars uh, in shorts, uh, uh, just, just basically from the actions of their own attack. So my question to you is this. <coughs> Excuse me. Because this, is a, because this was a liquidity-based attack, there's nothing that says that if someone acquired enough bean, they couldn't attack you in the same way. Is that correct? And, and what are you doing to defend against that? So there's a, there's a lot here, even though it's quite a short question you asked, Mark. It's perhaps the trillion-dollar question. So first off, the idea that you can prevent in a permissionless market uh, people from getting short uh, and creating FUD and creating a short-term uh, supply catalyst, there's absolutely nothing that Beanstalk as a protocol can do to prevent that. And in fact, to our earlier point about beans at 80 cents, you should expect it. The concept is as Beanstalk grows, there's going to be endless similar style short attacks put on Beanstalk. It goes without saying. The question fundamentally is in that hostile market environment, are the incentives of Beanstalk uh, sufficient to counteract the, the catalyst or the event that creates supply such that the run on the bank eventually ends? And in particular, the run on the bank ends before Beanstalk enters the death spiral. And maybe those are the same thing. So, or, or opposite things, I should say. So you're either in one state or the other. And to, to, to really break down all of the different things that Beanstalk does differently from Terra, I would recommend we, we spent a lot of time recording a thorough podcast breaking down the different incentives between Beanstalk and Terra. Uh, so that is like a full breakdown of all of the differences. But I think let's just take the main, the core, the core mechanism. Beanstalk is a credit-based stable coin. So what does that mean? It means anytime the price is too low, whether it's from a bank run or for any other reason, the way Beanstalk tries to return the price to the peg is by borrowing beans from the market. So fundamentally, the assumption people are making uh, when using beans is that Beanstalk is credit worthy, that there's an assumption that in the future, Beanstalk will be able to attract lenders. And so if we think about it in a, in a bank run scenario, uh, whereas in the case of Terra, demand for Luna was the thing that would create stability in the UST price. In the case of Beanstalk, demand for debt uh, in Beanstalk, soil is the willingness to offer, offer debt. So demand for soil would be the Beanstalk native term, would be the real question of sustainability. 
is there demand for soil? Are people willing to lend to Beanstalk? And I, I think it's impossible to answer other than in practice and letting Beanstalk play out whether when faced with these really harsh situations, people will be willing to lend to Beanstalk. That's something that can only be determined in practice. However, from a theoretical perspective, there's a lot that can be done from an incentive design standpoint to minimize the chances that there's no demand for soil, uh, like was the case with Luna, and maximize the chances that there is demand for soil at some price. And so let's break down why at the margin Luna collapsed to zero in as short a time as it did, which Mark, you said you were surprised by, but if we look at the rational economic actor during a bank run in the Terra ecosystem, it kind of makes sense. So once you enter this bank run situation in Terra, uh, the nature of the protocol is that there was a throttle limit to convert UST to Luna, and therefore people started to sell their UST at a discount. So if you're holding UST, you need to decide, I'm either going to sell my UST at a discount or wait to try to convert my UST into Luna for a dollar's worth of Luna. Therefore, uh, by definition, there's a lot of upcoming supply for Luna that's about to come. So if I am uh, thinking, if let's say I am a believer in Terra, and I think that right now the total UST supply is around $20 billion, I'm bullish that at some point in the future, the total demand for UST is going to hit $100 billion. So I'm, I'm long-term bullish Terra, and I want to participate the system uh, at the margin. While this bank run is happening, again, the main thing that Terra needs is demand for Luna. The efficient actor, if they're looking at this market and they're saying, I want to buy Luna, the question is, well, when should I buy Luna? Should I buy it right now or should I wait to buy? And the fact that there's all of this upcoming supply of Luna that you know is coming but hasn't come yet uh, effectively makes it such that the efficient actor would never buy Luna at that point. They would wait to buy Luna until all of that sell pressure is cleared. And in short, that is what uh, exacerbated and in a very short period of time led to the collapse of the Luna price all the way to zero. Because you had, everyone knew that there was this excess supply of Luna that was coming. And therefore, who in their right mind would hold Luna in the short term? The, the smart trade was to short Luna. And so the dumb trade was to buy Luna and no one was buying it. And at the time, that was the one thing that the system needed. And that's where the death spiral ultimately uh, became pretty easy to create in practice. Now, if we juxtapose that with Beanstalk, again, the core piece of Beanstalk's model is that it needs there to be demand for soil. People need to be willing to lend to Beanstalk. One of the core pieces of the Beanstalk uh, lending model is the debt is paid back on a first-in, first-out basis which is novel. Uh, prior to smart contracts, you'd never go to your bank uh, and say, hey, uh, here's, here's the interest rate I'm willing to accept, but you let me know when you pay me back. Uh, you'd never trust the bank to do that. But uh, thanks to smart contracts, uh, people can actually get in line uh, for when they're going to get paid back and verify that that's being honored. And so soil, if people lend to Beanstalk and there's demand for soil, uh, at the margin, they can price two things. They can price the exact bean supply at which they will get paid back, and they can know at the exact time that they lend to Beanstalk what their return is. And so if we think about fundamentally, 
that same, if you're in that same shoes during the bank run, you are a long-term bullish beanstalk. And right now, even though you expect uh, there's some short-term supply coming and the price is probably going to go down further, uh, the, the trade that beanstalk offers to lenders is you can lock in your return at a given bean supply. And so at the margin, if someone is looking and thinking, when should I lend to Beanstalk? It's a fundamentally different question. Because I agree. The, the, and so the at the end of the day, we don't know whether or not this will be sufficient of an incentive to attract lenders, if that makes sense. It now, there's, lot, there's lots of other pieces of Beanstalk's model that are designed to mitigate the bank run. But I think at, at the end of the day, this really is the meat. The first in, first out harvest schedule is the meat here because it allows people to be an efficient actor and to price their return, price their risk, and decide, I want to accept this trade right now. And that is the fundamental difference. Yeah, I agree. In Luna, you had to wait. The efficient actor had to wait. In Beanstalk, the efficient actor has to act. And that's that's where you can potentially have an end to the bank run uh, as, as opposed to a total death spiral immediately once you enter a bank run. Somebody on your end made the argument that debt is non-fungible. So everybody's debt position is, in fact, an NFT. I mean, not not actually implemented as an NFT, but it is non-fungible. Everybody's got a unique debt position and place in line and rate at which they will realize a return, um, which is really interesting. And I do agree with you. That is a unique feature, and I really like that feature a lot. Um, what, I, what I wonder about what you just said is, um, you know, you can only raise – the rate by 3% every season. So in a bank run, is that enough? Like, you know, should you be raising no, 20% in a season in a bank run? It's definitely not enough. And that's actually by design. The point is, if, if people know, let's say there's this short seller that creates this FUD event. Uh, if people are, there's this, there's, there's, this, there's this bank run event and now there's excess supply and the price is decreasing and below a dollar. If the interest rate can potentially explode and go up 20%, 50%, 100% very quickly, that fundamentally diminishes the effectiveness of the first in, first out harvest schedule on the incentive to lend. Because now at the margin, the question is, uh, well, I can wait to lend to the protocol and maybe someone gets in front of me in line, but maybe I increase my rate of return by 100% or 50% or 200%. So the fact that Beanstalk raises the interest rate very slowly is actually in practice an explicit trade-off that Beanstalk is willing to accept bank runs. That when the price is selling off, the expectation is that people should leave. The protocol is happy for people that want us are comfortable making that trade and selling their beans at a discount to do so. It decreases the total obligation of the system. And so the concept is there's nothing wrong with short-term deviations in the peg and if you assume that there is demand to lend to beanstalk then over a slightly more extended period of time beanstalk should be able to return the price to the peg so the the problem with raising the interest rate super efficiently such that it's always priced efficiently is that the margin it can change the incentive structure to lend to beanstalk and compromise the efficiency of the soil market so that and again the efficiency of the soil market is really the thing that matters not uh, not anything else by comparison. Got that. That's actually an excellent point. I had not thought of that. You're right. If you raise, yeah, if you raise the interest rates too quickly, then a lot of people just hang back and like, ah, well, 
I'm not going to lend now. It's going to go. I'm going to. I'm going to get fifty percent if I just sit here and wait. Wait for the wait for the thing to bleed more. So exactly. yeah, exactly. Yeah, that exactly. makes sense. Yeah. Okay. I buy that. Um, all right. Um, another question I had was, and I was thinking about the regulation, uh, and I am still worried about that. I think I think actually of all the risks here. The biggest risk is the regulatory risk at this point. I, I, if I that firmly is believe. true, Mark, if that is true, we are doing great. <laughs> well, I, yeah, I mean, I love your design. Look, look, I can't find it. I mean, there might be some, there might be a problem with it somewhere, but I have not seen it. And every time I try to poke a hole in it, I, I come back and I go, no, that's not a hole. That actually makes sense. So, so congratulations on that. I don't think there's a hole here. If there is, I'm completely missing it. So, um, so that's good. Um, so that, that, that leaves me with, regu- with regulation as the only – it's really the biggest risk. <clears throat> and especially as our politicians, you know, are looking to score points. So you know, let's, some, but let's so, play through. What other oh, wait, wait. Let me finish. Let me just finish this because I'm, I'm going somewhere I think you'll find interesting. And so the, the thought I had is <clears> – <throat> excuse me. Let's assume that they're coming. <clears throat> if instead of making being a stable coin, you instead made it a consumer price index uh, flat coin – you know, not unlike what Frax is doing with its uh, Frax PIS thing. I can't remember what, what the, the acronym stands for, but basically it's a price. It's basically an inflation proof stable coin. Instead of nailing it to a dollar, you nail it to a basket of goods. So it always resists inflation. Presto, now you're not a stable coin. So any regulation doesn't apply to you. And yet the same mechanisms could still be used to support that, I think. Have you guys thought about that at all? So a couple things to be said here. One, the main problem, and it's not per se a problem, but it's just uh, an additional risk with issuing an, an, a CPI pegged, even though I think the CPI is stupid uh, and wouldn't be the right uh, measure of inflation. But let's say you wanted to issue a bean pegged to a basket of goods or some index. Uh, there's nothing wrong with that per se, other than the, that increases the total liability of the system over time. Uh, in, in practice, I would argue the general devaluation of the U.S. dollar is a tailwind for Beanstalk. Uh, the fact that its outstanding uh, assets that are issued are in, in real terms decreasing, uh, that's good. To issue an asset that is in real terms not decreasing, by definition, uh, that's a little bit harder to maintain. However, not to say that in practice at scale Beanstalk couldn't do that, it's just to say it's a little bit more of an uphill battle. Uh, furthermore, at the moment, the market isn't really interested in, a, in an inflation-resistant stablecoin. It's interested in dollars on-chain. And therefore, that's another uphill battle of now you're going to issue an asset nobody wants instead of the asset that everybody wants. Uh, I, I would also make the argument, and I, and I don't think the regulators are going to care, that from their perspective, they should much prefer people are using dollar stable coins as opposed to other stable coins. But uh, again, that's neither here nor there in terms of how they're actually going to regulate this. My, my main point, though, is uh, Beanstalk, it just doesn't care. It really doesn't care. So in theory, they can, they can, they can try whatever they want. But in the same way of if you try to regulate Bitcoin, what does that amount to in practice? Uh, the hope is to have the exact same status for beanstalk now as we spoke about earlier over the short term i do think there are some practical risks associated with getting there but in reality i I do think this is more or less hot air 
I think the, the protocols that should be much more concerned are protocols like FRAPs that are uh, de facto dependent on USDC, on a centralized stablecoin. And whenever the regulators do hit uh, the centralized stablecoin issuers and impose KYC on them or whatever it may be, that is going to affect FRAPs. And that's going to affect other uh, stablecoin protocols like Maker potentially. So Beanstalk, from first principles, is designed to exist and thrive in an incredibly hostile regulatory environment. That has not changed. I think these other things that have managed to do what you're describing, thriving in a hostile environment regulatory-wise, um, I, I can think of two examples. One of them, of course, is Bitcoin um, with an undocked founder that snuck up on the world over a 10-year period. Right, So that's one way to do it. And you know, by the time everybody noticed it and actually took it seriously, it was too late. And it already reached sufficient size that there was it was too big to shut down and it was too decentralized and there was no throat to choke. Nobody knew who Satoshi was. So there was there was no way to sort of punish him. Right. So um, so that's example one. The other example is Uber. And I remember when Travis first started that, you know, he basically, you know, he his, his service was illegal. Let's just come on and say it. it was absolutely illegal in every city almost that he launched in. But he did it. He, he basically blitzkrieged it so quickly that so many people were using it and loved it that there was no way to shut it down once it was once it was uh, up and up and running in any city because the entire population would have screamed bloody murder, right? So that was sort of the other example, uh, and then it just became legal by default. But it was illegal when it launched, and you know, so I think so I think you can do it, and I think you can do it when you're doxxed and you're you're a legit company or you're known, but it is a race, and I think the race just got a lot more intense with Terra. So can right, you hear you me, Mark? I'm a little I'm a little short of breath at the moment. What's that? I'm a little short of breath at the moment, Mark. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So and you know, look, I want to see you guys win. I want you guys to win here. So I'm just thinking out loud. So but 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 to to your point, and at this point there is sort of a race condition in terms of getting back to on-chain governance. When Beanstalk was launched, I would argue with the exception of Publius's ownership of the contract there was already no single choke point other than economically you could buy out the whole system effectively, which will likely remain the case in perpetuity or for a very long period of time for any proof of stake based system. So the, the, the government that can mint infinite dollars uh, can, in theory, purchase uh, an infinite stake in any proof of stake network. So that remains a perpetual risk uh, at the moment. Uh, other than that, you know, once Beanstalk is back to being on-chain governed, uh, I really don't think there's much of a conversation to be had. I'm going to guess I'm going to have to have those conversations, if that makes sense, with with people as as now a doxed founder. But when I have those conversations, I intend to be able to say honestly, uh, there's nothing I can do. I hear you, but there's absolutely nothing I can do. And it's not even my hands are tied. Uh, my hands are free. I just can't do anything with them because I don't control the system. Gotcha. One other thing that um, came up during the whole Terra thing, um, I don't remember who said it, but it was it was a clever thought, I, I believed, when I heard it. And that was, you know, when, when Terra started off, it was a pure algorithmic, algorithmic stablecoin. And at the moment that Doe made the decision to partially collateralize it with Bitcoin, 
um, he now became, you know, sort of half collateralized, half algorithmic, right? So it was, he was sort of in between those two worlds. And in fact, that is what ultimately made him vulnerable because he was trying to acquire more Bitcoin with, with, uh, with Terra. And had he not done that, he, he might not be in the situation he's in right now, right? Where he sold the, the Bitcoin for Terra. So there is one school of thought that says, if you are, you know, if you're going to do an algorithmic stablecoin, you can neither, you, you can't be, you have to be one or the other. You have to be collateralized or pure algorithmic, but never both, never in the middle. If you're in the middle, that's the danger zone. What do you think of that, Todd? Well, I, I don't like the word never. I think it's a little strong. Uh, and Frax at the moment is working well enough. Uh, but in reality, at, at the time, we really were shocked at their decision to collateralize the system. And I think we tweeted it while the collapse was happening. While uh, we thought that the system was sustainable at the time that they made this decision to move to, to partial collateralization with BTC, they very clearly didn't. Like that was a sign to the market that they didn't have faith in the model. So to me, it's, it's very difficult to play Monday morning quarterback here because it's, it's hard to know what they perceived and they being the leaders of, of the ecosystem that made these decisions, what they perceived the situation to be. If they knew that they had this massive excess liability and they were running out of funds to subsidize the anchor yield, which was happening, and therefore they needed to very quickly figure out a way to cover their cover the liabilities whenever they inevitably uh, left anchor. The, the question becomes, like, what were they supposed to do? And it's very hard to say, well, if I mean, here's the point. The point is they shouldn't have been able to do anything in that capacity. The fact that there was a group of people that as the leaders of the supposedly decentralized currency could just say, we're going to do this thing and now substantively change the whole economic structure of our system. That's by definition, not decentralized. And to me, it's an indication that the people that were uh, running the show did really view their, their, their uh, themselves as uh, fiduciaries are responsible to the holders of the system. Like we need to fix this. We need to make this right. And so we're going to take executive action to fix the situation. And that, even if they were right in their assessment that the system was in trouble, there's, there is a, a, a point to be raised of, was that the appropriate action to take? Was any action appropriate? Uh, and, and given that they did act, were the actions that they took appropriate? And, I mean, to me, the only real issue that I can see that's reasonable is that they sold UST for Bitcoin as opposed to selling Luna for Bitcoin. That really doesn't make sense if they were aware of the liabilities and they knew we needed to try to cover the liabilities. That's, it's very hard to wrap your head around how that's a reasonable thing to do. Uh, but otherwise, you know, I, I tend to tend to try to give people the benefit of the doubt that they're trying their best and, you know, not a, it's very hard to know what the right thing to do is. And they clearly didn't didn't play their cards right. But that's it's hard to it's hard to say definitively what they should have done. I, I'd argue, given what transpired, uh, it's hard to imagine this going any other way. 
if that makes sense. And maybe that's after it happens, it seems so obvious. But in practice, given what we know now, it's very hard to imagine the system working. So uh, a lot of Monday morning quarterback you can do, but at the end of the day, they were clearly trying their best and came up, came up significantly short. Yeah, and I agree with that. I, I don't think Doe is a bad actor. I, you know, there's a lot of people saying, "Oh, it was a scam," and I'm like, "No, <laughs> I, I don't think I don't think you name your uh, your your daughter Luna, and then a few a few days before you go and perpetrate your scam." So I, you know, just I just don't believe that. So I think he was I think he was an honest actor, but I think yeah, he's in a world of hurt now, and um, I, I don't know I don't know if he can come back from this. We'll see. He's going to try a second act. We'll see how it goes. Yeah, that uh, is the kind of curious thing, right? You, you like that that behavior does reflect a deep confidence in the system, right? And tweet the tweet about naming my greatest creation after my greatest invention, like that's confidence, right? And was displayed while the while the reserve is being built and such, such that there's clearly some there's something that doesn't make sense, and it's very hard to know. It's hard to know what what they should have done, but I I would just say, if you guys ever hear us say Beanstalk works and it def it def this works, uh, I think that would make us lose an immense amount of credibility. The whole point is these are systems that work until they don't work, and this these are incredibly risky systems. So the concept of declaring victory uh, to me is quite foolish. Now, it's good to declare many victories, right? Deanstock deleveraging and the Padre coming down, that's a victory. Uh, the, the liquidity to supply ratio increasing dramatically, that's a victory. These are all proofs of concept that the model is more sustainable than it was yesterday. Uh, and that in and of itself is a proof of concept. But the idea of declaring victory, that's, that, that, you know, unfortunately, this is not a... a a, a game that that allows people to declare victory. So uh, that's where I think something was off, very clearly off. But it's it's very hard to know, you know, what was going on inside their heads. Yeah, no, I totally hear you on that. Um, the other thing I, I've been watching lately, you know, a, after after the whole Terra thing went down, I also been following. Uh, are you do you follow Deus and Day in the Phantom ecosystem, Julius? unfortunately not you don't okay well they there's a lot more to it than what Terra was doing but they actually did have a mechanism pretty much identical to um to what Terra was doing with their dei stable coin and after Terra depegged all of a sudden bad people were like oh shit we can do this and we now have we know we now have the recipe for how to depeg these things uh they attacked day and shoved it down from a dollar to around 60 cents and it's sort of come back to 75 cents or so right now. And they still have not been able to reattain their, uh, their peg. Um, so I was, uh, you know, and, and unlike Terra, they did not have the moment where somebody took the bait, right? So, cause there, there was no Bitcoin backing day. So it was, they were not, this would tend to defeat the theory that, you know, if you're fish, neither fish nor fowl, you're more vulnerable. Just if you're an algorithmic stable coin, there's always this, or that style of algorithmic stable coin, I should say, there's always this vulnerability. So, uh, but if you don't follow it there, I guess there's not much you can say about it. Um, well, do they have a throttle limit between the, the, I don't know. I don't that, know. Other, otherwise it seems weird that the stable coin would still be below a dollar, but the ecosystem be alive. The throttle limit would be the only reason that that would make sense, I would think. 
Yeah, I'm not sure. This happened while I was at. Excuse me. This happened while I was at All In last year, and I haven't had a chance. As you can see, I'm sick, so I'm sort of moving a little bit more slowly than normal. So I have not caught up yet with all the details of this particular event. So um, there's too many stable points to keep track. (laughs) There really are. There really are. Well, I guess that that really that that's really all the questions that I had written down. And thank you for putting up with my very pointed uh, questions. I know it's a difficult time even still for you guys. So. So thank you for putting up with that. Oh, it's no problem at all. And from our perspective, it's good to have these questions asked and answered because they're on everyone's mind. So we appreciate you tremendously for for verbalizing them, Mark. And, and uh, you know, at the end of the day, I do think it's it's I've said it on this call or Twitter spaces, but it's important to say it again. This is very much a, an experiment that we're all collectively engaged in and only through these discourses and dialogues can we collectively try to come to some sort of understanding about what works what doesn't work what can be improved i mean from our perspective there's so much to be learned from the collapse of terra that it would be a shame not to break it all down and have endless discussions about to to it would be missing an opportunity and there's a lot of value lost uh and it would almost be uh it would be wrong to, to waste the opportunity and pass it up as a learning opportunity. So uh, it's, this is tough, you know, this is the wild West. And to your point about uh, losing a hand. Yeah. As someone who recently lost a hand, Mark, uh, I can tell you, this is a, this is a risky business. So it's, it's it maybe to, to sort of end where we started, we really are uh, interested in, working with the general crypto community to come up with some sort of uh, disclosure system and it's got to happen. So uh, we're going to hopefully, we've tried very hard throughout our whole, the bean, the beanstalk existence to keep up to date white papers and documentation, but it's difficult. So there's got to be some industry standardization here. And again, if we don't do it, then, then the regulators are going to come in and nobody likes a babysitter. So 